Dear, dear listener, hi, this is John Dupuy. I want to ask a favor of you. If you like the podcast, A Deep Transformation, and you're getting a lot out of it, could you please help us by going to wherever you get your podcasts, it's a Spotify or Apple or wherever it is, and write, write a review. That would really help us to get this out. We really believe in what we're doing, and we're really praying and hoping this is helping people and being part of the solution. So if you could do that, it would be greatly appreciated by Roger, myself, and our team. God bless. Thank you. In part three of our dialogue with the remarkable Michael Murphy, he describes how the human potential movement and so many psychotherapies and meditations have now spread around the world, changing cultures and even politics. He also describes what we've learned about different practices and what makes them effective, the importance of developing and balancing multiple capacities, and how he and Eslin are continuing to explore our human potentials and frontiers. Welcome to Deep Transformation, Self, Society, Spirit, life-enhancing, paradigm-rattling conversations with cutting-edge thinkers, contemplatives, and activists, with Dr. Roger Walsh and John Dupuy. Join us in the evolutionary fast lane as we take a deep dive into transformational practice, peak experience, profound understanding, powerful contribution. You know, thank God I knew that Atman was Brahman. I, I, I could never, I, and I'm glad I didn't try to start Esalen or couldn't. My grandmother wouldn't let me, you know, because she said, Michael can never have this property because he will give it to the Hindus. <laughs> but you know, we had that breach birth. You, you, you know the story. I mean, it was a wild set of circumstances that led my father, who should have been the executor of her estate, but she was 90 and a dominatrix. So you talk about alpha female. I give you my grandmother. Anyway, I've been surprised upside and downside in so many ways. That that's about as all I can say, Roger, but there's nothing. The only wisdom I can extract from it, keep developing your capacities for discrimination and common sense and feet on the ground. And, and also, I would have to say going with that, and this I learned a lot from Fritz Pearls, going way back, that to read subtle cues, you know, double messages that you've gotten. I had Stanford back in those days, they had invented the IQ test. So we were taught how to measure somebody's IQ. So it's a bad habit I have. So I will at times revert to these old tricks on IQ. I don't, but you know, I've learned that there are many kinds of intelligence besides that kind of cognitive intelligence based on verbal fluency and mathematics, you know, that part of what, you know, now we, you know, Howard Gardner and all the kinds of intelligence, but I still, there's still a magic in reading subtle cues. Yeah, and you mentioned three things there, and I really want to emphasize them, Michael, because they're, you, they're kind of throwaway lines, but each of them is so important. You mentioned three qualities or skills actually you've had to develop in your interactions and political work and and the many other fields you've been engaged in one is discernment which of course is the root of wisdom second is being grounded and the and particularly kind of transcendental common sense you know in a way yeah. you spoke of merging the, right. the gnostic and the agnostic but to open as you as you've emphasized one of the most important things you've modeled i think has been this 
continual openness to the more and acknowledgement of the endlessness of mystery. But to do that, to stay open to everything and to stay grounded in in facts and data and, you know, solid grounding is crucial. And then you, then you also emphasize the, the capacity of developing increasing subtlety and subtlety of so many kinds of subtlety into interpersonal cues, subtlety to one's own personal intra-psychic experience, which you mentioned as your kind of your internal algorithm. So each of those is a is a crucial practice unto itself. Beautifully said, Roger. That's absolutely, absolutely. And and balancing balancing those to as you as you have and recognizing their bottom bottomless and and just to to mention that the subtle cues you know I had the good fortune of being married to <laughs> married to a woman Francis Ford who had one of the along with you had one of the world's best crap detectors I've ever known <laughs> I could I couldn't get away with anything <laughs> but, join the club. But, uh, uh, no, <laughs> <laughs> right. We have both, both been very fortunate. Yeah. Yeah. And, but what I learned there from being with her is, you know, we'd be with someone and, uh, you know, have a conversation and I'd go, oh, yeah, okay, okay. And then afterwards she pointed out, well, that went on, point out ways that, you know, I was having my, having the rug pulled out for, or, you know, just tricks pulled on me. And I'd realize, wait a minute. I actually noticed that cue, but I just didn't register it as something I really need to pay attention to. So it's like we're getting all this information that we usually don't give sufficient attention to and and explore enough. Well, you know, um, some of this comes just by living longer. You know, Paul Ekman. Mm -hmm. Is Paul still alive? As far as I know, yes. Yeah, God, he came to Esalen, uh, part of a, a workshop in 1963, and he was a really young guy then. But anyway, one of his big uh, studies in facial expressions, so they did a study of, it was set up, uh, kind of like the Solomon Ash experiment. Anyway, the one person would be lying, then the others would be telling the truth about something. And so then the people that were judged were studied. So over these, you know, uh, Paul's done a lot of research, as I guess you know, but I don't know what the N was, the how many subjects, how many numbers. Looking for the what variable in the person's watching, what variable stood out highest? I mean, when you took the highest scores, what in them was the highest correlation? What do you think that correlated to what about the person? And what do you think it came out? At least in the studies that I read of his son. I, I don't know. <laughs> Tell us. It's how old they were. Oh, really? The older they were, the better they were. Uh, that cut across the other variables. I Maybe if Paul were here, he wouldn't phrase it exactly that way. But just by getting older, we learn about one another, you know, even if you're not doing specific training or or whatever. But... Yeah, that, that's interesting, Michael, because there is, you know, one of the emerging fields of research at the moment is wisdom. And it, there's an argument in the in the wisdom research literature about, well, as people age, the, you know, some cognitive fluidity declines, maybe wisdom declines. But 
the data is clear that at least for the arena of social discernment, that goes up with age. That would, yeah, well, that there it is. So, Michael, you're, talk, you're talking about these you know, people and picking up clues of maybe subterfuge or negativity. And let me ask the, the mirror image question. You've, you've had the incredible opportunity of being with some of the most remarkable people on the planet. Yeah. Who are the people who've stood out for you and what are the qualities that really have inspired you? Boy, that's another tough, tough one. Um, I know things that I've always liked from my childhood, which is the straightforward capacity for immediate wonder about things. Mm. I've always loved that. And because there are a lot of the most creative people, you know, we know, have an incredible set to be skeptical and also to bracket you. I mean, they they are world-class bracketers <laughs> and they do it. And oh boy, and I, I feel that. I don't like it. And none of us like it. But this other side of that is this elastic wonder, a childlike, a childlike, you could say, a capacity for wonder. You know, I'm thinking, you know, we got to be friends with Bill Walsh, you know, the great coach of the 49ers. Mm -hmm. And he went with, we took, Dulcie and I and a mutual friend took them to Moscow for us for a week. If you want to get to know someone, go to Moscow with them. Travel around with all the folks we know over there. Russians are incredible. They are, they are. And with all the problems they've had under the czars and then under the communists and blah, 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 blah. Nevertheless, wonderful. So anyway, Walsh. So we're over there, and he he became as a child, and he started seeing things and observing things. I said, no wonder he wins all these Super Bowls. <laughs> I mean, no wonder he can. He's such a great picker of players. You know, it wasn't that he was the coach. He was the general manager. He was, that team was the worst team in the league. He made it the best. That dynasty lasted for twenty years. I mean, he quit coaching after ten years, but. And we went actually to Moscow a couple of months after he was nudged out by DeBartolo. He, he quit, but DeBartolo was, well, anyway. And it's that he, he, he was naturally and profoundly interested in everything in a way that stood out from others. So he's an example of someone who, of course, I worshipped him in a way, you could say, I mean, being a 49er fan. But I think of uh, Abe Maslow was this way. You know, he got down to Esalen. It's just like, he, I mean, he was, I mean, a young soul in relation to this stuff, full of, but I loved it. And then, I mean, he he had a good crap detector going, but he he would have suffered a lot of wonder and disappointment if he'd stay down there for a month, let's say. <laughs> Eventually, he did get very upset with both Fritz Pearls and Will Schutz, you know. Someone like him, and then... Uh, Oh, then I'd have to go through a list of people who I love that characteristic in. But gee, there's so many things I admire in people, Roger. You know, and I've been so lucky to see uh, up close people who are so good at things. Oh, God. we uh, For example, com comfort in crisis. To become fully present when you have lives on the line. And we've had some hairy moments. Some people come right down. Some people panic that you would be surprised that they lose it. They become 
they stiffen up. They, they're not good in this circumstance. But these are people who come right to center. They can handle this. I admire that trait enormously in people. But to, uh, if, if you want me to name uh, famous people or go down the list of famous people I've known, that's, I'd have to think about that a while, Roger. I mean, who? Well, they don't have to be famous, Mike. I'm just, I think I and others would be interested, given the enormous number of people you've been around who've been cultivating qualities, virtues, capacities, skills in themselves. And uh, I'm just, uh, I'm, Fascinated to think, well, you know, who are the people who've most inspired you and what what specifically are the qualities? And you mentioned wonder, that's a beautiful one. The capacity for awe. It's really very I'll, beautiful. I'll tell you another one, and it's someone that was not nice in all respects, is Fritz Pearls. I mm -hmm. would I would say his quick perception on many things had a streak of genius. Mm -hmm. He would see things and then uh, working as he did. At times, it was astonishing. I mean, it, he, I think he was probably born with that, but of course, he'd made his life like that. But he also wasn't the nicest guy in the world. Yeah. He he was complex. He was working with me once, you know, we, you know, in a group. So it was something he called the continuum of awareness practice. He he only made one admonition to me about he right with me, and then. In the middle of it all, he took my hands, he looked at these big melting eyes, and he said, that's enough now. So I went over and sat down. It was, you know, the big house, the Murphy house there. And I sat down, and I looked out to the ocean. And it was a radical reversal of figure ground, so that the crests of the waves were blue and the ocean was white. And I had never had that experience. And I was uh, elevated by what he and I had exchanged. So I went over, it was lunchtime, so I went over and there was an exhibit of abstract expressionist art and Jesus, I flipped out almost. I went around, I said, who changed this thing here? And they said, nothing's changed. I said, well, look, look, these are different paintings. Everything had reversed. It was an abstract expression, mm -hmm. everything had reversed. I was stoned on the natch. So then Dick Price comes up to me and he says, Mike, the damnedest thing, you know, Fritz just came up to me and told me that the reason he stopped this exchange with you is that he had a major Satori experience. Now, Fritz did not talk that way. You know, he, he was out of touch with his crypto mystic. And that was, by the way, a phenomenon I saw in a number of people of, of that generation. You know, they were committed atheists, you know, coming off the 50s, 40s and 50s, and particularly so many of the leaders at us were Jewish. And so were, in his case, he grew up in Germany. He was analyzed by Wilhelm Reich. But what I want to say is in him was a streak of genius related to a part of himself that he had disowned by his upbringing. And he, I could tell you some more experiences. So in his case, what I would say I saw in him was a, a big something that had to do with perception, and it was not in full alignment with a theoretical frame or a worldview that would nurture that. So his militancy against, I think it was a, 
uh, well, it's a lot of what Esalen itself came out of, namely a reaction to a repressive conformity in American culture at that time in the 50s. And they, in Germany, as Jews, had really experienced it. And him, being analyzed by Wilhelm Reich himself, again, that relates to my take on many people's surprises. Everybody's so complex. That's one of the things I'm taking away from what you you've said today, Michael, is the the complexity of our nature as human beings that we came, I think, into the human potential movement with rather idealistic ideas of how much humans could be perfected. And there's certainly been, that's been an endemic disease in spirituality that enlightenment confers total positivity. Well, as you point out, hanging out with a few gurus undoes that belief pretty quickly. And so in one sense, it feels like a there's been a dialectic for you and a holding of openness to opposites that you've been really one of the great pioneers and facilitators of having this culture recognize that there is more to us, that we have capacities, we have potentials that can be fostered and skills that can be developed. And again, it's back to your question then, Roger, would I admire or hold forth? I would then have to qualify any answer I give that I would admire for this or that reason. Yeah. I've kind of had the hero worship blown out of me. Now, I do have my heroes, but they are very idiosyncratic to me. And I'm very aware of that. Certainly in the world of sport, you know, I've had this conferred on me by the culture. It's unwarranted that I have something they want to know about. You know, I lectured once in the Superdome to a thousand golf pros who are all taking notes because of golf in the kingdom. So when I go around to golf courses, you know, I it's an amazing thing. So meeting, okay, let's say playing golf with some of these guys, it's like a speciation event. It's a different species. They do things that are so far beyond. You know, I was a good golfer before handicap, and, and I learned the game very fast. And I was just, I've been a good athlete, not great, but very good, actually. These guys, it's awesome. So, okay, that's now that's idiosyncratic to me. You know, they there's a range of goodness and cognitive capacity and all. Although I must say, a lot of top athletes, you have to be knowing your body this well. You know other people's bodies. And, you know, as I said in Golf in the Kingdom, nowhere does a person go so naked as they do all dressed for golf. Because you give... <laughs> You give yourself away. Within four or five holes, you know more about this person than you ever need to know. I mean, it's I mean, in, un- in unbelievable ways. So anyway, what I'm just making that point, and I do find, I mean, this is just kind of a, you got me in a therapy situation here, Roger. You got me kind of a counseling situation looking at myself here. I have zones where uh, I'm quick to look askance at... If certainly when I'm in Washington, D.C., when I'm back there on our Russian thing, I have a quick eye for the bad stuff and who I'm dealing with. And, you know, we've had quite a bit of dealing with the intelligence agencies, and I've been able to, we've been able to navigate, you know, with the CIA. I, I've actually been recruited by the CIA, the KGB, the FBI, and the Irish Republican Army. Attempts. All right. <laughs> attempts to, to get you to do something. We've, you know, navigated that. Dulcie has a very 
different attitude. She doesn't speak to them. So, but I'm amiable and I'm interested in them. So I speak to them. And uh, they do their thing. And uh, they can read you right away. I, we keep, oh God, the lessons we keep learning. I mean, a month ago at that big UFO conference at Esalen, there was a couple there that were career officers in the CIA. And he actually ran covert operations into Russia. He was a spy master. And he told us, primarily me, some things that <laughs> turned my little world upside down around certain incidents. It would take too much to tell you about this, that I was being, that the KGB knew a lot more about me than I gave them credit for. And he said, I, I said, how do you know this? He said, because that's what I've done for a living all my life, running it the other way. And he says, they're good. And he said to Dulcie and me, you know, we're now starting to write out the backstory of our adventures over there, you know, to tell our secrets. He kind of pounded the table. You guys have got to do this. You owe it to the Americans to tell these stories because there's a lot, and I can speak. The CIA is full of bad things and bad people. And he said, I know. And then he said, what got you guys through? He says, I understand this better. It's not only that, that you were sincere. Here's how he put it. It's not only that you were sincere about Russian-American friendship and that you were working and all, but he said your very innocence is transparent because I, the way I had navigated in response to some of these blandishments from these people who didn't say they were KGB, but he argued these, that was the KGB working on you. And I said, well, how do you know that? He said, because I did it for a living. And your innocence, you did everything that proved you were in no way could be a counteragent. See, that was what, what they'd be looking for. You know, that I had ulterior motives or that I was crafty because we penetrated straight into the Central Committee and in, even into the Politburo. I mean, Dulce, I mean, them asking us to bring Yeltsin over? How did this happen? That was a, yet another lesson. Me, at the age of 91, being uh, <laughs> to see my country bumpkinism almost. I mean, he said that you did this and did this. I mean, you're not only innocent, you're, you know, you can take the boy out of Salinas. You can't get Salinas out of the boy, you know. <laughs> I mean, a country bumpkin, <laughs> you know. So, you know, it's good to learn about these things in these complex situations. But anyway, this is a long way around from your original question here, you know, who are some... I, I find the difficulty I'm having answering that question is I'm pretty much out of hero worship. I don't <laughs> have any heroes left. <laughs> Just us people. <laughs> I like more different kinds of people. I mean, it's... Everybody's got a good guy in them. I mean, everybody, everybody's got a, a good girl, good guy, everybody. But they're good in ways that we have to be open enough and discerning enough to see. So discernment's not only to see what's wrong, what's unfinished, but to see what's beautiful and good. Yeah, and to see what's potential. And, and well, yeah, yes, to see what's potential. But also it's a matter of taste, don't you think? I mean, in other words, what we all, there are all certain types of people we approve of and like, and we unconsciously impose our own 
status systems. You know, I've grown more and more suspicious about developmental schemes. I They're tricky. Yeah, and I wanted to ask you about those, Michael, because you'd mentioned that in our lead up to before we did this dialogue, you'd mentioned you'd become increasingly suspicious of developmental maps. And, and just by way of context, it, you know, one, to my mind, one of the most exciting discoveries of psychology in the last 50 years has been the recognition that people can mature in certain ways past the time the body stops growing, that the mind can keep developing in certain right. systematic ways. So that's that seems impor- incredibly important that we've begun to recognize that and begun oh, yeah. to map it out. But yeah. but you're pointing to you've also been concerned about this. So it'd be wonderful yes. if you to say something right. about that. Well, right. It's to, for me to understand how ubiquitous status seeking is, how important status, you know, Abe in his hierarchy of needs, you know, which is a lot of truth in it. That scheme seems pretty obvious that safety needs, obviously, you got to all that and all of this. In those very broad schemes like that, there's a lot that's good. In the developmental schemes that Freud, I, I buy a lot of that. But there's so much status-seeking and snobbery built into the spiritual world and into the It's just to become aware of that and how it can be incorporated into judgments. I mean, boy, judgmentalism at times runs amok down at Esalen. I mean, this one is not as developed, and we've had to live through that. Some of it came out of the Gestalt approach and the dicta of starting with Fritz. And, you know, Gordon Wheeler was very much involved in the, the revolution. I mean, to go beyond some of Fritz's stuff. And Gordon has been very involved with us and central to us. And it's a good. His, and I see it so much right now politically in the left versus right. And the, oh, God, Roger. I mean, it, it's uh, the progressives carry a young, warlike, get the guest thing that can be very oppressive. And we we have to deal with that at Esalen. Yeah, judgments made about things you say, microaggressions. I don't know how much you saw that as a professor among young folks now and, and the absurdities to which it goes. I've seen it over this long course that if you look at the great hierarchical schemes that have developed around religious ideas, in India, you know, the, the Brahmins, the Kshatriyas, you know, the whole caste, and the same, obviously, in Christianity. And then to see it in the misreadings of our foreign service, of people and attitudes, our blindness to this, that, and the other thing. And this problem American foreign service and American academics have had about Russia, it's like they are our designated bad guy. But anyway, it comes out of this all-pervasive thing, and it comes into psychology sometimes by way of these overclassification of this one and then this one and this one and this one and this one. Pretty soon it becomes a sickness, I think. And we better look out for it. And it, it corrodes, it can corrode our capacity to engage with others. To see the, I mean, <laughs> for me, I mean, to go out on golf courses and have people, t- you know, being able to hang out with people, appreciate people, hear their mystical experiences. I'm going to be interested to see if we get anywhere with Tanya Lerman and looking at people who come to Esalen in regard to all of this. Because this is these are deep characterological sets, 
tendencies, formations in human nature that are crucial to our governance and our politics. Who's in and who's out in any group? And these judgments are made so habitually all around that we just need, you know, I guess more on the side of tolerance and love, L-O-V-E. I mean, love for people and forgiveness rather than the sharpness of science looking to discriminate always and to classify, which is fundamental to science, but often corrosive to human relationships. And it sounds, Michael, as though you have an appreciation for the potential benefits of these maps, but you're more concerned about the misuses uh, or egoic appropriation. Absolutely. And, you know, uh, you, you and I have talked about this before. You know, in the future of the body, I hit this thing. There's no such thing as a single virtue. That goes straight back to Aristotle and Plato. I, I even, even remember the term used, antikaluthia, yeah. the, the in, mutual entailment or integration of the virtues. I learned a new word there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's you know, the courage without prudence, you don't make it past 15. I think Aristotle said that. You got to duck. If you're going to be out there fighting, you got to duck once in a while. You know, justice without mercy, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, you know, I started to look at all these transformative practices in light of the portfolio of virtues that they honor and those they neglect or actually denigrate. And Fritz was a prime example. I mean, look what he reinforced. In other words, all therapies are running a Skinnerian program of reinforcement that come out of, you know, the response of the therapist and the community of the they, the reinforcement of certain attitudes that we got at Essence. So you could tell right away where an SD was coming from. Here's an S gang. They would walk down below our offices on Union Street and the way they laughed, you know, you could tell they're imitating Werner, but also what they value. And they constantly... So it was a reinforcing mechanism, and we all lived through this with these different groupings. Who's in and who's out? You know, we all become aware of it on the school grounds, you know, in grammar school, in high school. Who's the dominant clique? And so it runs through our foreign service, and it runs... Mike, Michael, do you feel that we can, through our integral practice of practices, that we can grow in virtue and character and get kinder, get better, working on it? Or compassionate? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, this ITP thing we have, no, it can work. But we have to be looking at ourselves. You know, when George and I started ITP, we it was an experiment. So we did research on ourselves. And now we got a number of them going on right now with through Tanya's people to study us. How are we doing, actually? Does this stuff work? <laughs> you know? No, it's an open question. It really is. I mean... You know, there's so, uh, this has been up for us, you know, just before he went overseas and was killed with Thomas Merton. Did you ever read Thomas Merton? Mm -hmm. yes, the great so. Catholic reform and monastic. And so I, we asked him to lead a program at Esalen. He said, well, he couldn't, but he would with us at one of the nunneries up in uh, Northern California. So we had agreed to do this. And unfortunately, he was killed on that trip. But he was running a critique of why the monasteries aren't producing the saints that, like they used to. Particularly, you know, there are many kinds of saints. And as Oscar Wilde once said, they all should be presumed guilty until proven innocent, you know. <laughs> that might have been a projection on Oscar's part. 
by the way. Uh, well, of course, but I love Oscar Wilde, and, but oh, God, uh, you talk about an imperfect creature who had many wonderful traits. But anyway, so again, it would be that, I mean, we, we they don't run studies on why, what's going on in these monasteries. And he he was calling for a real look at this. So we had a common, it's too bad. I thought it would be fantastic to have had him, you know, with us in this sort of inquiry. But so back to your question, I, yes, I mean, I wouldn't be doing this unless I think it works, but we better look at ourselves too, all the while. Yeah. Look at ourselves and look at the data in as many ways as we possibly can. Yeah, understand yeah. what's going on here. Yeah. You know? Mike, it, it, you know, you've, we've covered so much here. You've covered so much in your life. You've mentioned you're a mere 91. You, the world record for aging is 122, so you have a little ways to go. You're marvelous. I, honestly, thank you. Yeah, we've been, I think it's time to close up shop here right now. Well, uh, yeah, let's just ask. what. Okay, you're 91. You're still going strong. You're still a visionary. You're still... Is there something that you, is there a particular vision that calls you? Clearly, it's an, it's going to be an, another instantiation or expression of Atman as Brahman, but is there some particular project or calling? Well, okay, yes, uh, yes, Roger, and that's why I made this little list this morning. These are hot issues. We don't know, we humans, about uh, the answers to a lot of these questions. What's going on on the other side? What really is the truth about this, quote, subtle body phenomenon? I can go right down this list. So Esalen is, you know, life has given me this marvelous laboratory. And I'm a lucky guy. My family owned it. And we've lucked out. So I'm called to continue this inquiry. So that calls me. Oh, on my, people ask me, well, what about your, what advice can you give? So I, I'm willing to give people advice humbly, I must say. Let's say about health, physical health. I've never had a major illness. I, you know, no, no heart disease, cancer, diabetes, nothing. So I say good genes and enough good habits, not too many. <laughs> So when it comes down to particulars, and I get this asked all the time, well, what about, do you have a glass of wine? So I am forced by the world I inhabit to now answer to my drinking philosophy. I mean, I don't start this. I don't. So I then will tell them my own history, what I know about Pinot Noir. I, I, I drink, all I drink now is Pinot Noir. But it started when I was very young. I never drank hard liquor, but because my mother's French and because they, the grandparents were lights-out cooks, oh, my God, from the French Pyrenees, I ate well. I was spoiled rotten, actually, because I got to Stanford, and they were eating what we call shit on a shingle. You know, you did see the whole God. I could barely get through dinner, but I'd been spoiled. But anyway, through the years, with my asceticism, I've given up more and more and more. So I do believe, I do have a, what well, for me is my diet, but I, I would not give that to everyone. But I've had to find it for myself, that there's certain general rules. So that's on that front. Exercise, okay, it's life-giving. But I am suffering now from 
certain disabilities. For example, my left knee has some arthritis in it. I ran to, you know, I was competing in the mile and into, through my 50s. And I, I ran a 432, 1500 meter when I was 53 years old. But we were running intervals and, you know, we were all into this running marathons. So I've got some arthritis in my left knee that I wouldn't have had. The doctors have looked at this. I've had the best looking at it. Too bad. So I walk. So, you know, I walk my two, three miles a day and etc. So on any aspect, there's advice I can give to Mr. X or Mrs. Miss X or whoever she or he is out of my own experience, but I'm not a guru. And so when it comes to the general advice, my answers are quite banal. I don't have any secret one. It's that we have to, what we neglect will come back and bite us one way or another. So if you let the weeds grow in your garden, you get weeds. So my advice to others on the personal front which, you know, I've never, you know, I'm not a therapist. I'm not a, and I'm not a guru. It's offered out of people asking. I've been lucky to have this opening to the deeply mystical so young. So I, I try to get people to meditate. So that's one thing I unreservedly give to people. But enough meditation. This one wants enlightenment. Okay. I do talk, to, I'm willing to talk to people. What do you mean by that word? That word mm -hmm. is like an empty category. Yes. Now, now, you tell me what you mean by that. He says, well, I want to be have the best. The best of what? Oh, I want to be calm always. So I love talking to people about calm. Okay, I'm with you. Try meditation, but then run through the thing. You want to be calm in this situation, in this situation. So I am drawn to talk to certain young people who want to be calm about the fluidity of their emotional life, when they stiffen up, when they tighten up, okay, that there are a million practices. I mean, the world is now, and Esalen has had some role in this, there's hundreds of practices. So, and I will steer people to this, for this, and this. So I think in a human growth and betterment, I'd like to get us tailor-made, you know, and not just buying stuff off the rack. You know, in aristocratic families, you have a tailor who makes your suits. Okay, we are all, deep down, and I totally believe this, born aristocrats. I'm with Meister Eckhart. But we have lost our way. You know, the old Hindu parable, the tiger, you know, raised by sheep. He thinks he's a sheep. He's actually a tiger. Well, the same... So we need to tailor our practice to who we are. And that's one of the, you know, central ideas of what George and I started, ITP. So it's tailor-made to the individual, your practice. And I think that <clears throat> that's part of what you would call wisdom, discernment. Tremendous gift, Michael. That whole idea that you guys pioneered, huge, huge. It's been my practice for 20-something years now, your ITP, though I haven't been a part of a group or... It's been Brilliant. sustained, life-sustaining, absolutely. And uh, I know Ken ran with it, but I, I go back to you guys and, and the work that you did. Tremendous con contribution. I'm personally very grateful. And a beautiful theme you're you're giving there, Michael, about this specifically integral, integral transformative practice, but more generally life and practice in general and, and multiple skills that 
the importance of acknowledging our uniqueness, opening yes. to, maintaining the openness to the mystery, yes. to the more, and experimenting, seeing what yes. works for us, testing, and again, the characteristic quality of discernment. You seem yeah, like you know, one are... of the things, Roger, that for me, now, okay, and this again is idiosyncratic to me, but I've inhabited a lot of communities that haven't appreciated adventure, exploration, experimentation, risk-taking, these virtues. Without them, God, life, I, I don't want to do it again. I mean, this, <laughs> what, we, what the hell are we, I mean, what did we have in mind? If, if we are in the, let's say we are one with the divine in its creative agency. See, this is now the kind of big issue I want to bring up with this whole survival of bodily death thing. I mean, the problem of evil. Okay, if we are one with the divine, both in our uniqueness and our universality, why the fuck are we doing it this way on this planet with this amount of suffering and etc.? I'm right with Ivan Karamazov and the brothers Karamazov on this. I won't give you 10 cents Alyosha, his saintly brother, for your God that allows this suffering. And then these hideous examples he gives. And then his, you know, Dostoevsky leaves that with Ivan's dream. That's his solution, that he dies and he sees. The only way he can understand that is to climb this hill for one billion years. So he lies down, and he, after a billion years, he's tired of lying down, and so he climbs for a billion years. This is in his dream. And once he gets to the top, in an instant, he understands. So implicit in that is this is state-dependent to answer this question of the sheer scale of the suffering, the sheer amount of it. I think to answer it, it's only going to be answered with an immense adventurous embrace and exploring into what's going on because I know I can take a time out anytime and go back to Brahman. If I meditate more than a week or so, I it's not good for me and that I why am I going back to work? This is so delicious. It's so marvelous. And in fact it's it's a problem I'm starting to, to develop this is a new problem for me, and Dulcie has noticed this. I tend to slip inadvertently into a kind of little bliss state. So I'm slow to do the dishes, for example. I'm slow to do this or that. Part of me is getting ready to check out already. I'm slipping back towards what I can do, which is to bliss out. You see what I'm saying? It's, so no. it's a challenge. So I have to now often, Say, why am I down here still in the trenches? Because sometimes it hurts. That's my stage of development. It hurts to have to do this and that. But I've got, if I'm going to help in this, I'd have to walk through my days. And let's say the this hurts, okay, that hurt. I, I, I wish I didn't have to do this, but I've got to where I am. In other words, I am subject to the karma of my works because good works have karma. So in other words, given all that, it's helpful to have an adventurous spirit, to have an enterprising spirit, to be ready for the next whatever. 
I do think, however, I must say, probably I'm getting a lot of signals that it's time now to be more of a yogi. <laughs> I probably am. And this, in fact, I will confess that I am getting signals. It's a little too much karma yoga. Now it's a little bit time for more yana yoga. See what I'm saying? Yeah, and you've and throughout the throughout our dialogue, Michael, you've emphasized balance, and it seems it seems actually really a beautiful challenge that you are now more able, easily able to slip into bliss, and there is still the call of the suffering, the yeah. call to respond, the call to serve, which has been the the light motive of your of your life and very beautifully and and it feels like this has been a, a beautiful this conversation has been a beautiful distillation of that it's been it's been held in the context of atman as brahman that's that's been the context you laid out at the very beginning and you've emphasized the inexorable call to service in the enormity of the of the yeah. suffering and in the and yet that within the context of the bliss, all these polarities that you're bringing together and have brought together in your life. And, well, and Michael, I, I think both of us just want to thank you so much for everything you've done for us personally. Our lives have been changed by your life. So many lives have been changed by your life and your good work and uh, just Dear friend from both of us, deep, deep, deep gratitude. Well, mutual, guys. Thank you. Thank you. This is a very life-giving conversation. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you, Michael. Today's episode was brought to you by iAwake Technologies. Visit the Deep Transformation website to find out more about iAwake's audio tools designed to wake us up, grow us up as a part of our daily deep transformational practice. Thank you for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the Deep Transformation Podcast, and we greatly appreciate your comments, suggestions, and questions. Thank you for all you are and all you do. From John, Roger, and the Deep Transformation team.